Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. I know we just read the passage, but I want to, if you will, allow me to kind of paraphrase uh, this passage just so that we're all on the same page. Here it seems that Ezekiel, he's been taken from his home. He's been living in Judah. He's been taken uh, captive, and he's there in uh, Babylon. Daniel's probably alive around this time, and it's a very interesting passage of Scripture. And if you follow along, as we read the passage in verse number 1, it says that the hand of the Lord was upon him. God's hand was upon this prophet. I think that's an underrated statement. That we as God's people need God's hand to be upon us. And here he is saying, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And what did the hand of God do? It carried him out in the spirit and and it took him out into the middle of a valley. So can you imagine him? He's just there. He's maybe living in Babylon or wherever it might be that he's exactly at. God's hand is upon him and God moves him from where he is into this valley. It's an open valley. It's a wide valley, and the valley is full of bones. There are very many bones that are just filling this valley. So if in your mind you could kind of picture this, and God has him walk around the valley. So Ezekiel is taken from where he is, and he goes to this valley. God takes him to this valley, and there's bones everywhere. And so God has him walk around, so he kind of walks around this whole valley, and he, and he sees the bones. There's lots of bones. They're very dry, and And after having kind of seen and surveyed the whole land, God asks him a question. Can these bones live? And the prophet says, O Lord God, thou knowest. God, you know. You know the answer to that question. I can't answer that question, but you could answer that question. And God's response to the prophet was, preach. Preach to the bones, right? I'm a preacher. I like preaching to people, amen? I like preaching to people that can hear. I like preaching to people that will respond and hear the word of God and have some understanding. I don't ever want God to ask me to preach to these dead, dry bones. I'm sure Ezekiel might be wondering, what's the point of preaching to these bones? They're bones. They're dead. But he he obeys. He says, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you will live. I'll put sinew, I'll put flesh, I'll put skin upon you, I'll put breath upon you and you will live. So Ezekiel hears what God wants him to preach and he preaches the word of God. And amazingly, there's a noise and a shaking. I imagine it's kind of like a rumbling. He preaches, and there's a rumbling in the ground. He begins to look around, and all of the bones, they begin to shake, and they begin to move, and they they begin to come together. And all of these bones that were dead and dried and separated, now they are put back together. And, And when these bones all get put back together, upon them is put the flesh and the skin. And now there are these bodies that are there now. And God says to the prophet again, preach. Preach again. Preach to the wind that, they will put, that it will put breath into them. And so he preaches. And the breath comes into all of these bodies. 
and they become alive, they stand up, and there's an exceeding great army. What God says about this is, first of all, these bones are the whole nation of Israel. All right, that's who he's talking about. Right? We're going to take some personal application, but we need to know that the, the passage deals directly with the nation of Israel. That the nation of Israel, it was gone. Amen? The nation of Israel was gone. And many thought that it was dead. It was dry. They were just bones. They were just little remnants here and there. And, of course, the Jewish people have been around. They're still around today. And, and there are people who have said, oh, our hope is lost. We've been cut off. We've been separated. Even they themselves have said that. And God says, hey, look, here's what's going to happen to my chosen people, the nation of Israel. Hey, they may have been dry bones, but I'm going to make them alive again. I'm going to bring them back to life. And what do you know it? Right after World War II, a few years after World War II, what happened? The nation of Israel came to life again. And this is not just, well, just a few years or a few decades. We're talking about this, was, this prophecy was made thousands of years ago. 2,500 years ago when the nation was conquered, it was prophesied when these bones are very dry, the nation will come back to life. And there's a great application that we can see that, you know, God fulfills his promises. And praise the Lord for that. And when we see God fulfill his promise, what should we do? We should recognize that that was God. You know why the nation of Israel is here today? Because of God. Because God spoke a prophecy and it, that God was the one that happened. And so you can trust the promises of the word of God. But personally, I want to at what can we learn about revival from this passage we know the direct application and exactly what God is talking about but we also know that the Old Testament that the scriptures were given for are in sample so we can learn some lessons from this so what can we learn about revival from this passage well we can learn that there is always hope with God there is always hope with God amen there is always hope with God amen there's always hope with God. God, there is hope for you. There is hope for your family. There is hope for your church. There is hope for the lost uh, people that you know in your family that are friends. And whatever the case might be, there is always hope with God. And I want to see three lessons that we can learn about hope from this prophecy and the fulfillment of it. Number one, I see that skeletons have hope. Skeletons have hope. I mean, the words are repeated time and time again. Who is he preaching to? What is the valley full of? It is full of bones. A valley of bones. Very dry bones. They used to be alive. But now they are dead. You know, it's interesting. I was, I was studying a little bit into this. And, you know, of course, it's a valley full of bones. And without going into too much detail, where a person dies, just, you, you know, kind of take the body. It would take about a year for the body to fully decompose bones, all right? Of course, every situation is different, but it, it takes about a year. So when he gets to the valley and it's just full of bones, it means that, well, whoever was there, they were dead, and they'd been dead for a while, right? This death, it did not just happen where you might say, well, we have hope. Maybe if we give them CPR, we can revive them. No, they've been dead, and they've been dead for a very long time. 
as I mentioned, this is dealing with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel came back to life. This prophecy was made thousands of years ago. How many nations are like that? How many nations do you know of that to go and came back to life? How many nations have you heard about and read about in your history books? Those of you that are students, maybe right now you've been hearing about these old nations. How many of them have died and came back to life? I mean, none of them, right? None of them. Just one. The nation of Israel. You know, this was an impossible resurrection, right? This is impossible about a nation that died thousands and thousands of years ago, but I think the lesson that God wants us to learn is skeletons have hope. That revival is not limited to the reasonable. Revival can come to anybody. And it begins with this. In verse number four, it says, again, he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, what are the next words? Hear the... What are the next words? Hear the... The word of the Lord. Dry bones. There is always hope if you're willing to listen to God's word. There is always hope if you're willing to hear what God about the matter. There's always hope if you're willing to as life who is life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And he said, I am the God, there's hope for you, amen? Hey, I don't care what kind of situation that you might be in, there's hope for you if you're willing to listen to God's word. Hey, you might be looking at your own personal life and say, yes, I'm saved, and praise the Lord, as I mentioned before, once you are saved, you are always saved. And praise the Lord for the dry bones recently. Maybe you feel like the life's been gone. The excitement, the vigor, the, the ability to kind of do things spiritually. Maybe you feel like some of that is gone. There's hope for you if you're willing to listen to God's word. If you're willing to listen to God's word, God can bring revival back to you. Hey, maybe you're looking at some sort of situation in your life. Maybe you're looking at your ministry that you're a part of. And, and maybe things aren't going as well as you would like to. Hey, if you're willing to listen to the word of God, there's revival that could be there for you. Hey, we need to listen to God's word, amen? And that's why it's so important that we preach the word of God. That's why it's important that you... As people say, well, I just don't feel that excited about God and serving God and doing the things of God. Hey, you need revival, and it comes when you read the word of God. When you go to God's word and you open it up and you say, God, revival. I need to be made alive again. I'm saved, but I need this revival in my life. Give me the words of life so that I can live again spiritually. Not that you died, but that you need some life in you. You need the power of the spirit. You need something you know that it's missing. You need to go to the word of God. Hey, can we just be honest here and ask ourselves a question? How often do you read God's word? How often do you read God's word? How often do you read God's word if you would say, I just don't feel like it's there? For those of you that might say, well, I'm just not that excited about living for God. I'm just not that excited about serving God. There's just, I'm just not excited about the things of God. Are you reading God's word? You need to read God's word, amen? 
That's where life is. These are the words of life. John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Hey, if you're missing something exciting in, the, in your spiritual life and you feel like there's nothing going on, that it's not exciting or alive, you need to get into the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Hey, in your bulletins, every single week, there is a schedule for you. Every single week. I want you to take your bulletins, those of you who it up. Right there on the left-hand side, right there at the bottom, is a section that I hope will be a help to you. To get into the word of God. Hey, it's not just a, a religious kind of uh, ritual that you do every single day. It's about a believer, a son of God, a daughter of God who says, God, I need life and I need revival. God, will you give it to me? Because I know that your words that are spoken to me, they are spirit and they are life. Hey, if you feel like hope is gone, go back to the word of God. If you feel like things are dead here, go back to the Word of God. Get into the Word. Read the Word. Study the Word. Memorize the Word. Get in there and get into the words of life so that you could have that revival. There is hope if you will go to the Word of God. Secondly, I see the Spirit gives hope. The Spirit gives hope. Verse number 8 begins... To, to describe to us what happens after Ezekiel preached. He preached, and things began to happen. Verse number 8, And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. A great miracle happened. The bones have come together. The sinews or the tendons... The ligaments, they came together, the flesh, the muscles, the organs, the tissues, everything. Then finally the skin covers them. Everything is there. All the body parts are there. The eyes are there. The mouth is there. The tongue is there. The ears are there. The hands are there. The feet is there. Everything is there. The body was wholly, completely put together. But still, there was something missing. This is just like when God created the first man, Adam. Genesis chapter 2, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So he formed this man, Adam, and he put this man together. And there was a body that was there, but he did not come alive until, it says, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. I think the lesson that we can learn from this is that revival is more than just having the right parts. Revival is more than just having the right parts. Maybe in your personal life you just think, well, if, if I could just get to this right stage of life, maybe you're single and you're thinking, you know what, if I could just get married to the right person, and then revival would happen in my life, or maybe you are, uh, you know, married, and you want to have kids, and maybe if I just have that kid, or if I have another kid, or whatever the case might be, or maybe if I could just get that up, if I could finally save up enough money and move into that house that I've always wanted to live in, or maybe if I could just get the right job at the right place, or make enough money, or have the right position, or whatever the case might be, 
Sometimes people think, if I could just get there, then that's when revival is going to be. Oh, no, no, no. Just because you have the right parts doesn't mean revival is going to come. Hey, in our church, we might be thinking, you know what? I, I love what God is doing right now, but God could do more. And praise the Lord for that. God could always do more. Praise the Lord for that. But, you know, we're not a perfect church, and, uh, you know, there's some limitations on our property. Amen? We have parking limitations. All right, those of you that come early, you know nothing about parking limitations. All right, those of you that come a little bit later, you know all about the parking limitations. Amen? You know all about, you know, you're just hoping that there's going to be a parking spot here. And, and uh, we do what we can, and I praise the Lord for those of you that are willing to work around, you know, that situation. But there's a limitation there, that's for sure. I think everybody knows that. You know, we have a limitation with Sunday school space, don't we? Amen, Brother Brooks? <laughs> we, have a, we have some limitation with Sunday school space. You know, he's meeting there in the fellowship hall, and I'm, I'm glad for all of you that are in, a, in his class and you're patient. You know, sometimes people are cooking in there, or people are walking through the fellowship hall. It's not an ideal class location, amen? All right, those of you in Brother Brooks' class would say amen. It's not ideal, all right? Praise the Lord. We work with what we got, all right? And praise the Lord for that. And, uh, you know, you open up the Bible no matter where you are, you can learn. And praise the Lord for that. But it's not ideal, right? It's not ideal, all right? Brother Dave's class is over there in that tiny room right next to his class. And, uh, you know, you could use a little more space in his class, amen? <laughs> more space, bigger tables where everybody could kind of sit around. That'd be nice. You know, there's a lot of other things that you can look at at our church property that are limitations in terms of the auditorium, the location, or all of these things. And, and it might be tempting for some to think, you know what, if we could just get into that right building that has enough parking spots and enough classroom space and, and the fellowship hall is big enough to have, you know, all of our big events and, and we have a perfect location right next to the highway where we have a big sign and everybody knows exactly where we are and, and we could have all of those things just because we're in the exact right place with all of the parts of the property doesn't mean that revival is going to come. Hey, there's no guarantee that if we move into a bigger place, that revival will come. Hey, there's no guarantee that if we move into the perfect quote-unquote location, that revival will come. Maybe in your family you're thinking, well, if we could just do this, if we could get this, if we just had a little bit more money, if we could get into a better home, if we could do all of these things, then revival will come. There is no guarantee because revival comes only from God. And God doesn't say, you know what, I'll bring you revival if you get into the next big building. Hey, I'm going to give you revival if only you would finally get married. Hey, I'm going to give you revival if only you would just have another kid. Oh, I'm going to give you revival if you would just make a little bit more money or move into this house. That's not the requirement for revival. John chapter 20, verse number 22. says, and, he, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, verse number 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. You know, so Ezekiel here, he's preaching, and he, he's told to preach to the wind, to breathe into the body's breath, and they became living souls. What was that wind that breathed into them? I believe it was the Holy Spirit. Of course, it could only be the Holy Spirit, amen? We see the comparison between the illustration or the analogy of the Holy Spirit and the wind. I just read you those verses. So you know where revival comes? It comes from the Holy Spirit. 
It comes only from the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to follow the moving of the Holy Spirit? Because if you do, revival can come. If you're willing to listen and yield to him and follow his leading, revival can come. And you can move from sleeping to standing. Verse number 10 describes this radical change between just bodies that were strewn all over the valley to a great standing army. Number one through verse number nine, they were just bodies, but when he preached unto them, so I prophesied as he commanded me in verse number 10, and breath, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet. Hey, we as Christians are told to stand, amen? We as Christians are told to make a stand. Personally, we are told to make a stand for our families. We are told to make a stand for our church. We are told to make a stand for God. We are told to make a stand for God's word. We are told to make a stand for God's people. And when the Holy Spirit comes and we have revival, then we can move from just laying around to making a stand for God. Romans chapter 14, verse number 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall behold enough, for God is able to make him stand. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Hey, revival is about making a stand. Being revived is about making a stand for God, for his word, for the gospel. And when you get revived and when you have the Holy Spirit in you, it allows you to make a stand. It also moves you from being insignificant to important. Verse number 10 says, and stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army. Now when you read the words here, you probably thought that when, when it says an exceeding great army, you probably thought what I thought, which is, wow, there's a lot of people here. Right? That's probably what you thought, right? That's what I thought. Right? And we know from the earlier uh, verses in the chapter, it said that there were very many bones. So we know that there was a lot of bones there. I'm sure it was a big army in terms of number. But when it says an exceeding great army, it's not primarily talking about the number. Although I'm sure that's a part of that. It can mean number in terms of great in number. But the word here for great is the same word that is used for high priest. That word for high is the same word that's used here for great. Not to interchange the two, but if you want to use the same word, it's like saying the great priest instead of high priest. All right, so I think you get an idea of, of what the meaning of the word is. It's not just about number, but it really is dealing directly with greatness. Amen? You following me? All right? It's not just about numbers, which tells me this. Revival is not just about numbers. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be lots of individuals. There's lots of examples in the Old Testament about how God worked greatly through few. Gideon and the 300. He defeated a huge army, multiple times bigger, hundreds of times bigger than him. In the New Testament, how many disciples were there? There's 12, right? You know this. There were 12 disciples. Remember the Old Testament when Elijah was facing off against King Ahab and he brought all of his prophets together, right? How many were there with Elijah? 
Nobody. It was just Elijah. Just one. And how many prophets of Baal were there? 400. It's one against 400. And yet, the 400 prayed, and nothing happened. One man of God prayed, and fire fell from heaven. Think about Noah. We don't know how many people were alive when Noah was alive, but thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people certainly could be much greater than that. Only eight were saved. You know, revival is not primarily about the number. It's about greatness. Hey, revival is not about, hey, if our church could just get to 500 people, then we would be great. If our church could get to 1,000 people, then we would be great. If our church could get to 10,000 people, then we would be great. You know, there are churches all over, you know, L.A. and Southern California. They got thousands and thousands of people. Every single Sunday, auditoriums packed, 1,000 people in the auditorium, 2,000, 3,000. You hear about these churches buying out these, you know, NBA stadiums. They got, you know, tens of thousands of people on their membership roll. We have hundreds of thousands of people. Hey, it's not about the number, amen? Hey, greatness is not about how many people we have. It's about how many people are revived with the Spirit of God. And this army was not great just because of their number, but because they were made alive by the Spirit of God. Hey, you know what? If you want church to be great, you know what you need to do is you need to get revived. Hey, you need to get into the word of God, and you need to follow the spirit of God, and we might have 50 people here, we might have 100 people here, we might have 200 people here, we might, it doesn't matter how many people, we might have five people here, but if we would all yield ourselves to the word of God and to the spirit of God, we could get revival, and our church would be great. Acts chapter 1, verse number 15 says, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were about 120. So, the beginning of Acts. Acts is an exciting book, right? Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people get saved. Soon after that, 5,000 people get saved. Soon after that, I'm hearing about all sorts of stories and, and events of many, many people getting saved and baptized and added to the church. How many did they start with? How many did they start with? Acts chapter 1, verse 15. How many? What does it say there? 120. You know, our church runs right about 200. Every English ministry, Spanish ministry, Korean ministry. We have more people here than they had in Acts chapter number one. Which tells me, hey, it's, again, it's not about the number because these people, they only had 120, but a revival came. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and great things happened. Not because they were great, not because their number was great, but because the Holy Spirit was great and it filled them all. Thirdly, what I see is they went from doubtful to decided. An exceeding great army. That word there is not a coincidence. Because if you went to the park, if you went to the beach, if you went to, you know, Dodger Stadium and they were playing a game or whatever, or you went to basketball season about to start, you know, you went to a Lakers game and you went there and you saw all of these people, you would say, wow, there's a big crowd of people here, amen? Big crowd of people, 1,000 people here at the park. 10,000 people here to watch a, watch a game. 50,000 people here to watch a baseball game. It's a crowd of people. But the word that's used here is not the word crowd. 
Because a crowd can mean anything, right? A crowd could, it just means, well, there's a lot of people here. We don't know what they're here for, but there's a lot of people here, right? The word here that's used is the word army, which tells me this. It wasn't just a crowd of people that didn't know what they were doing. They were an army who knew why they were there. Hey, when you get revival, you know why you're here. When you get revival, you know what your role is. Hey, when you get revival, you know what your role is in your home. Is when you go to work. You know what your role is when you come to church. When you get revived, you know, you're, it's not just a crowd of people that are gathered here together. We are soldiers of the cross. We become an army for God. You know, here's a group of people. They didn't have helmets. They didn't have shields. They didn't have swords. They didn't have army. They didn't have bows or arrows. They didn't have horses or chariots or equipment. They didn't have anything, but they were an army. Not because of the equipment that they had, but because of the mentality. We know why we are here. We know what we are doing. We are an army to serve God. Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 3, says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. What God needs is more members who will be soldiers who will be a part of that army, who knows what they are doing, who knows why they are there, who know how to persist and how to, how to not get entangled with the affairs of this life. I feel like here in, in Southern California, this needs to be preached more often, that we Christians get too caught up in the affairs of this life. Don't we? Hey, can we be honest here and say we get too caught up in the affairs of this life? Hey, we live in the entertainment capital of the world, don't we? Hey, as soon as one sports season ends, another one begins. As soon as one season of entertainment ends, there's a new one. As soon as there's another uh, restaurant that's opened up, there's another restaurant that opens up. Hey, there's a new event in town, downtown, over here by the beach, over at my school, all of these things. There's always something to entertain ourselves with, but you need to remember this life is going to disappear. Hey, all of the pleasures of life, they're going to be gone, but souls that are saved will live for eternity. Hey, we need to be careful that we as Christians don't get too caught up in the affairs of this life. That we're not always looking at, oh, you know what, if I could just take that vacation and I could go travel over here, if I could just eat this new food just like everybody else is and post a, this exact same picture on Instagram that everybody else posts on Instagram. Okay? I use Yelp, all right? And, and it helps me to find out places and things like that. It's funny, people post pictures on Yelp and it's, it's, every picture is exactly the same. <laughs> right? You go to this new restaurant, and I don't know what kind of food is there, you know, I don't know, Chinese food. And, oh, great Chinese, you know, restaurant opened up, and, and you, you see the plate, and you, you go on Yelp, or you go on, you know, their Instagram page, you know, there's hundreds of people that post, it's all exactly the same picture, all right? You don't need to post that picture, everybody else has seen that picture already, amen? But, you know, we, we can get so caught up with, oh, I got to show people what I'm, I'm entertaining myself. Way and I got to eat the new food, and I got to go here and do this and, and entertain myself in this way. We are soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can't forget that. Hey, if you're getting too caught up with the affairs of this life, thinking about not how you can serve in your church, how you can witness to somebody, but you're thinking about, oh, I hope that this gets out soon enough because I want to go eat at the restaurant over here. 
Oh, man, I hope that he doesn't take too long. Me and my friends, we want to go hang out on a Sunday afternoon and go over here and have fun doing this and go over there and do all of these things. And, and you're always thinking about how can I entertain myself and how can I God? We need revival, amen? Hey, it's not about how many people are here. It's how many of us are really willing to yield ourselves to God and say, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, how much it'll cost, no matter if, you know what, if I don't get to do those things, that's okay because you died for me and I need revival in order to live this life that you have called me to live. Hey, greatness is not about numbers. Greatness is not about if we could just finally get every single one of these, because we could do a lot of things to fill the seats, amen? Hey, you know what? I could, we could bring a band. I mean, I couldn't bring a band. I'd get fired right away by Pastor Choi. But, you know, we, if we brought a band in here, amen, oh, we could fill these seats really fast. We just started advertising, hey, we got a new exciting band, and if you would just come, you could be under, oh, we could fill the seats, but that doesn't mean revival's going to come, amen? We could bring in comedians over here that could tell a really funny joke and everybody would laugh and have a good time. That doesn't mean revival is going to come just because every seat is here and everybody's having a good chuckle over a good joke. That doesn't mean revival is going to come. Hey, just because we have every seat filled here for whatever reason doesn't mean that revival is going to come. It's about those of us that are saved, following the word of God, following the spirit of God. Thirdly, what I see is the story of hope. Because God brings Ezekiel out to this valley. He brings him out here. And he just starts asking questions and telling the prophet to do things. He doesn't know why, but God brought him to this valley. There's this valley full of bones and he has no idea why he's here or what that even means. He's told to preach to the bones. He says, okay, I'm going to preach to the bones. He's told to preach to the wind. So he preaches to the wind. Finally, after there was standing a great army, God gave him the lesson that was there. He said in verse number 11, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. He says this was the nation of Israel. You, don't want, you want to know what this whole thing was about? I'm going to tell you what it's all about. You know, I think we, we don't give enough credit to the prophets of the Bible because they obeyed God many times having no idea why. I think that's a good lesson for us. Sometimes we just need to go to God's word and obey it. Maybe you don't understand why. But if it's in God's word, we need to obey it. Amen? Sometimes we let our reasoning overrule obedience to God's word. And here are the prophets. He's saying he's told to preach to the bones. Okay, God, we're going to preach to the bones. And then he's told to preach to the wind. Uh, okay, God. I'm going to preach to the wind. And great things happen. What are the lessons, really, that can be learned here? I think it's pretty obvious. First of all, we can see that God is powerful enough to give you life. Verse 14, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live. You know, God could do anything in your life. Amen? 
God could do anything in your marriage. God could do anything in your family. God could do anything in your ministry. God could do anything in our church. Amen? If God could resurrect these bones, God could resurrect the deadest of Christians here in our church. Amen? I praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that God could resurrect these dry bones. God can also plant you in the land, and I shall place you in your own land. The land was a very special land, was it not? It was a promised land. It's the land that they were looking for, amen? That's where they wanted to be. That's where they should have been. That's where God wanted them to be. But the land was not as important as the Lord. Amen? The land was not as important as the Lord. Because they were in the land, but they left the Lord. And God says, if you leave me, I'm going to take you from the land. You know what? God wants to bless you with some great things. You know what? Marriage has been a great blessing. My kids have been a great blessing. You know, this ministry has been a great blessing. And those are wonderful things, but none of those things should supplant the Lord in my life. And none of those things should supplant the Lord in your life. God should always be first. And lastly, I think the big lesson for all of us in this whole passage is this. The end of verse number 14. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Because revival, again, is not primarily about you or me. Revival is primarily about God. Will God get the praise out of this? And that's what revival is about. Revival is God's people saying, God, I want you to be praised in this. God, would you fill me with your spirit so that you could work through me so that you could receive the praise for it. 